Greetings, fellow travelers, vagrants, explorers, wildlanders, and welcome to episode 13 of the Retro Wildlands. My name is Nomad, and this is my gaming podcast where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with a video game that I've discovered or rediscovered while roaming the gaming wildlands. Thank you very much for checking out the show and joining us in the Retro Wildlands today. I'm glad to have you with us, whether this is your first time or you've been with us since the beginning. Feel free to grab a drink if you're thirsty from the cooler over there, and take a seat by the fire, my friends. If you have any food on you, please do your best not to feed my dog Didi, who's probably making his way around towards you right now. He eats enough people food, and when he gets way too much of it, my wife yells at me, so don't let his puppy eyes get the best of you. I've been yelled at plenty already today, thank you very much. On today's episode, we're going to be checking out a game on the Sega Genesis that's made its way under my personal radar for far too long. Growing up, I was a Nintendo kid, and I didn't have access to a Sega Genesis for very long when I was little. Games I did play were Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Golden Axe, Mortal Kombat. I even got a chance to play Kid Chameleon for a short time at one point, now that I'm thinking about it, for those that remember that game. But one game I did miss out on was Toe Jam and Earl. Now, I had the ability to play it. Problem was, I didn't get more than 10 or 15 minutes into it when I decided it was a little too slow for me. I played so much Sonic when I was playing the Genesis, so a slow game like Toe Jam and Earl just didn't compute for me. I didn't appreciate what this game was trying to do which was give the player a laid-back experience where the player controlled the pacing instead of being forced to move fast all the time. Plus, the characters just looked weird to me. Why was that red alien thing wearing high-top sneakers and a backwards cap? What was up with the big guy's big shorts and sunglasses? I just didn't get it. So I moved back to what I knew and what I was used to. But over the years, the names Toe Jam and Earl would crop up now and again, and those that did play this game all said the same thing to me. You have to give it a try. Well, I finally committed, and I played through Toe Jam and Earl to completion last week. What are my thoughts on this groovy blast from the past? Well, I'm assuming that's why you're here, so stick around and we'll get to my thoughts and experiences shortly. Before we do... I'd like to take some time to peel back the curtain here in the Retro Wildlands to give you all an idea of what I'm working on, what's potentially coming up, and how the show itself is going. We roam the Wildlands together, you see, and transparency is something I've come to appreciate from others, so it's something I want to offer to you all as well. If none of this sounds interesting to you at all, there is no obligation to stick around and listen to me at my jaws. Just skip ahead about 5-10 to minutes and you should hit my thoughts on Toe Jam and Earl. But you are more than welcome to stick around. We have some fun things coming up, and if nothing else, it's a few more minutes of hearing my smooth Italian voiceover. Alright, so this week's been a bit of a busy one, but in a good way, mostly. Halloween is fast approaching, and like so many others, I can't help but be swept up in all the dark, scary wonders. Halloween is my wife and mine's favorite holiday, so we tend to dress up and decorate our house pretty elaborately. One year, we wrapped the front of the house in a ton of spider webs and had big and little spiders that we made all over the place. Last year, the theme was skeletons, and we had several of those hanging all over the side of the house. 
This year is more so a combination of the two. We wanted to do something with baby dolls, but couldn't collect enough baby dolls to do what we wanted. So that's probably going to happen next year. Still, our house right now is looking pretty good so far. Gravestones line the front yard, we have the spider webs up, and we have flamingo skeletons because why the hell not, right? And when Halloween comes around, it brings a need for scary video games. Every year, I try to play at least one scary video game, but this year, I'm having a hard time deciding which one to pop in this year. At least, I was having a hard time. My wife is not a fan of scary, suspenseful things, so I tend to have to fly this road solo. My stepdaughter is a self-proclaimed horror buff and loves to be scared, so it's going to be awesome when she gets older and we can play through some of the scarier stuff together. In years past, I would play Until Dawn on the PlayStation 4, mostly yearly around this time. I've always wanted to play that game with a group of friends and make it kind of a weekend thing. I really dig everything about that game, and it's a -a one-of-a-kind experience I think any scary game lover should try at least once. I've also been meaning to play Resident Evil 7 using my PlayStation VR. My stepdad told me once that he tried to play RE7 in VR and just couldn't make it through. Nope, fuck that shit, he told me. And my stepdad is usually someone who can handle a scary little something, I thought. Hell, he and I used to play Resident Evil and Silent Hill together when I was younger, and I vaguely remember him being a fan of the Hellraiser movies. Those are scary, right? I've never personally seen them. But either way, when he told me he couldn't do Resident Evil 7 in VR, I knew I had to give it a try. So that's going to be something I'm going to be doing at some point. But this year, I came across one of my holy grail video games. It's a survival horror, puzzle, action-adventure game that I never knew about until a couple years ago. And once I learned about it, I knew I had to play it. By the time you're hearing my voice, it should have come in the mail and I'm already playing through it. I'm planning to cover it on the podcast two weeks from today, right before Halloween. I'm not going to reveal the name of the game yet, though. Because of the type of game that it is, and since I've never played through it before, I wanted to play through it and make sure I could make a good episode on it first before committing it to the show. If nothing else, I have a backup lined up. I think everyone's going to like this game, though. If nothing else, it'll be something different. That's what I really want the Retro Wildlands to be, really. There's tons of games out there that we all know and love, and they give us those wonderful nostalgia hits. But buried deep in the wildlands are games that are rare treasures and not talked about very often. I want to give a spotlight to a couple of those anytime it makes sense. So when the time comes, I'll be featuring this game on our social media platforms, so head on over there if you want the scoop ahead of time. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching at Retro Wildlands. If you want to keep up with the show or add some gaming-related stuff to your timelines, feel free to throw us a follow. Social media is the best way to interact with the show and the best way to reach out to me directly. Feel free to slide into my DMs, as the kids say, if you wanted to shoot the shit or whatever else. A few people have already reached out to me, and I've gotten to know a few of you a little bit, and that is really awesome. It still floors me that there are a few people out there that actually listen to this little project of mine. 
I'm very grateful for that, believe me. As far as the podcast itself goes, every week we're growing just a little bit more. We've surpassed 250 downloads across all episodes at this point. That is 249 more than I was expecting, so again, that is super awesome, you guys. Thank you very much. Last week sometime, I was finally able to get the Retro Wildlands up on iTunes, and I think that helped out quite a bit, too. I will say, not to knock Apple or anything, but they did not make it very clear to me how that process actually worked. I had submitted this show to iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever right after launching my very first episode, but it never popped up on the platform. Finally, though, I figured out what it was that I needed to do on my end to publish it, and now it's out there, so I'm hoping that helps people listen to the show a bit easier. If you haven't already, please consider spreading the word about the podcast to your friends or family. I still have no expectations regarding the growth of the Retro Wildlands, I'm mainly doing this for fun, and I think it'll be really cool to look back on one day, but I can't help but wonder how big this thing could actually grow. Alright, I think I've done enough plugging and self-promotion for one episode. I appreciate you all sticking through it, though, if you did. Now, let's start talking about ToeJam & Earl for the Sega Genesis. Released on October 1st, 1991, ToeJam & Earl didn't really break any sales records when it first launched. It was actually considered to be somewhat of a commercial failure by Sega. But the gospel that is ToeJam & Earl slowly spread. It was called weird by some, it was called strange by others. But ultimately, this game is one of the most relaxing, chill, and funky games you'll ever play. For me at least, when I think of the Sega Genesis, I think of Sonic the Hedgehog, the blue blur. I think of speed, I think of action, and I think of how Tails is probably the most annoying sidekick ever. But that is not what ToeJam & Earl are all about, my friends. So throw another log on the fire, strap your high-top sneakers on, turn your hats backwards, and grab that present over there. Let me tell you about a couple of the grooviest aliens that come from Planet Funkotron who just crash-landed on planet Earth. I know when I think of the Sega Genesis, I immediately think of Sonic the Hedgehog, like I assume most of the world does. When I was a kid, I played Sonic 2 more than I did any other Sega Genesis game. I played it so much, I was actually able to beat the game legitimately. Part of that was because it was one of only a few Sega Genesis games that I actually had access to, but really, I did enjoy playing Sonic 2, even if my options were limited. It remains one of my favorite video games of all time. But as far as the other games I had access to, I had Altered Beast, Mortal Kombat, Kid Chameleon, and ToeJam & Earl. When I was little, I didn't have access to a Sega Genesis for very long. If I remember right, I think I was around 7 or 8 years old when I was playing it. 
I remember a ton about Sonic 2 because I played it so much. I do remember a bit about the original Mortal Kombat. The one memory that sticks out to me is how I somehow pulled off Sub-Zero's fatality and ripped off the head of Johnny Cage. I watched as his spinal column hung down, then I looked down at my controller. I had no idea how the hell that happened, and nobody was around to see me do it. Maybe I dreamed it, but still, it's a random memory I think about every now and then. Now, Toe Jam and Earl was another game that I had some memories with. However, they weren't very robust memories. First thing I remember was the game cartridge. I didn't have the box or the instruction manual, so all I had to go on was the artwork on the cartridge. It had two creatures on it, one red, one tan. They looked pretty funky. The red one looked like he had a backwards hat on, and the tan one was wearing some sunglasses and about to chow down on a hot dog. This image confused the hell out of me, and gave me no hint whatsoever as to what this game was all about. So one day, I decided to give it a chance. When I booted the game up for the first time, I was met with a ton of bright colors right in my face. The words Toe Jam and Earl flashed on screen, and I saw full images of them. Toe Jam was a red alien-looking creature with three legs, a gold chain, and a backwards baseball cap. Earl was a big boy, sporting some cool shades, some sweet kicks, and red polka-dotted shorts. Or maybe they're boxer shorts. Yeah, whatever. I didn't waste any time examining them or waiting for the game to start. I hit buttons on my controller until the main menu popped up. I started a game as Toe Jam and was immediately tossed into the game world. It looked like I was on an island and I started to walk around. The first thing that I remember thinking about this game was how slow it was. Toe Jam really took his sweet-ass time striding across the landscape. As I played, I found myself very confused. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing, and every now and then I would find presents scattered across the floor. I had no idea what those were about either. I walked over them to pick them up, but I didn't know how to use them. There were creatures walking around like little devils with pitchforks, and they would constantly chase me around. But I moved so slow. I was so used to the fast pace of Sonic 2, and I couldn't stand moving as slow as I was. Plus, I didn't know what the purpose of the game was. The music was sort of catchy, but it wasn't enough to salvage the experience for my young self. I think I put about 10, maybe 15 minutes into the game, and then I called it. I went right back to Sonic 2 and never looked back. A few years passed by and the Sega Genesis was left behind for me. My mom and stepdad brought a Super Nintendo into the home and I officially migrated my youthful gaming habits to the Nintendo sphere. Games like Super Mario World, Super Mario Kart, and Star Fox would be my constant companions. Games like Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Mortal Kombat, Kid Chameleon and Toe Jam and Earl faded from my memories, but they were never completely gone. While I argue Sonic the Hedgehog is the premier face of the Genesis, anytime I saw anything pertaining to Toe Jam and Earl, I would immediately think of the Genesis. As I grew up and continued my gaming journey, Toe Jam and Earl would pop up every now and then as somebody's favorite game, or it would hit somebody's list of must-play Genesis titles. I never understood how, but obviously there must have been something about this game. Still, I dismissed it. 
That was until I started this podcast. After I took the leap and posted my very first episode, I started thinking about games that I wanted to go back and replay. I was looking on the internet for popular Sega Genesis games, trying to get an idea of what I should consider covering on the podcast. I haven't played anything on the Sega Genesis since I was little, so I was excited to explore a whole, new-to-me ecosystem of retro games. On a few lists, ToeJam & Earl popped up again. I thought, maybe I need to go back to this one and give it another chance. What finally made me decide to go back was my buddy Chuck in our Retro Wildlands Facebook page, who brought the game up to me as a game he thought I should cover on the podcast. And I have to say, Chuck, I'm glad you brought this one up. I had a pretty good time with Toe Jam and Earl, and I think now that I've played this through once, I think I understand why there are so many people out there that hold this game up as one of the good ones. Now, let's examine Toe Jam and Earl a little bit, shall we? So, what is this game? It's hard to lump this game into one particular category. It's part of the reason it took me so long to give this game a chance. I had no idea what this game was supposed to be. It looked so strange, the characters were weird to me, and I didn't really understand the purpose of this game. But I decided to do a little bit of homework before I jump back in. Toe Jam and Earl is probably best described as an action-adventure, roguelike game. We take control of either Toe Jam or Earl, two alien rappers who are cruising through space in their Ratmaster rocket ship. Our alien protagonists are from the planet Funkotron, and they are undoubtedly the funkiest creatures this side of the Milky Way. While they are flying through space, Earl thinks it would be a fun idea to take the wheel and fly their spaceship himself for a little while. This turns out to be a terrible idea as Earl royally fucks up and crashes the ship on planet Earth, the least funkiest planet of them all. The ship breaks apart into ten pieces and are thrown all over the place. It's up to ToeJam and Earl to find the missing pieces of their spaceship so they can reconstruct the ship and head back to their home planet of Funkatron. And that's it. That's the overall plot of ToeJam and Earl. It's a very simple concept, but the gameplay is actually somewhat robust for what it is. Planet Earth is depicted as flat plains that are either grassy, covered in sand, water, or have roads. Across 25 levels, 10 levels will have parts of your spaceship. The best way I can describe the levels themselves is to have you think of floors in a building. You start off on level 1 or floor 1. To get to the next level or the next floor, you have to find a literal elevator somewhere on the stage, and when you take it, you'll ascend to level 2 or floor 2. Simple, right? Now here's the part about the gameplay itself that really interested me, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier. This game is considered a roguelike game. Those of you who know that term probably latched onto it like I did if you've never played Toe Jam and Earl before. Now before I get ahead of myself, let's get everyone on the same page regarding that term. Let's take a moment and step into the Wayback Machine. Back around 1980, a game called Rogue was made. In Rogue, you play as a character that is tasked with descending deep into a dungeon to find a treasure called the Amulet of Yendor. As you play, you'll come across enemies that will try and stop you. Along the way, you'll come across items that can help you progress and things like new weapons and armor. 
But what made Rogue stand out and sort of famous today was that the dungeon you play in is different every time you play it. It was procedurally generated, so items you come across were never in the same places if you played the game through multiple times, and that went with the enemies as well. Every time you played Rogue, it wasn't the same experience as the last time. Games today that have this as part of their gaming experience are often referred to as roguelike. Just to chuck out a couple quick examples, games like Rogue Legacy, Spelunky, Darkest Dungeon, Hades, Slay the Spire, and Dead Cells are all considered roguelike. And of course, Toe Jam and Earl is considered roguelike. There is an obvious appeal to these types of games. With regular games, you can play them over and over and eventually master them. You can memorize item layouts, enemy patterns, and stage designs. But in a roguelike, the basic concept and objective of the game is the same, but the experience is different every time. So what does that mean for the gameplay experience when playing Toe Jam and Earl? Well, I'm glad you asked, because we're going to be diving right into that. But first, I want to talk about this game's overall presentation. Now, I know this has been said multiple times by multiple people, but the best way I can describe Toe Jam and Earl is with three words. 90s as fuck. Starting with how the main characters are presented, Toe Jam and Earl's attire has been called an over-the-top appropriation of 1990s urban culture. Appropriation is a very big word for me, and I lifted that right from the game's wiki article, so full disclosure on that one. What does that even mean? It's basically the over-exaggerated clothes our main characters have on. I'm talking the backwards hat, the gold chain, the high-top sneakers and shades, the funky jazz hip-hop tunes playing in the background, and how Toe Jam and Earl talk. The wiki article calls their dialogue California slang, but that term really doesn't make sense to myself. Basically, they'll toss out terms like jammin' and chillin' and stuff like that. The game's presentation leans very heavily on the idea that our main characters should be considered the funkiest, freshest, and most laid-back creatures around. And it's an idea that works really well overall. The only negative to the presentation, if you can even call it a negative, is that it makes the game really hard to classify. And I don't mean the type of game, we've been over that a little bit. At its core, this game just comes off as strange and odd if you're looking at it from the outside in. Once you get inside it, though, it's hard not to get caught up in what this game is trying to be. As far as the actual graphical presentation goes, I think the visuals are mostly okay. They aren't Sonic the Hedgehog levels of nice, but they are colorful. Most of the character models look fine and the environments are serviceable. Toe Jam and Earl themselves stand out against the environment, and their mannerisms as you move around further solidify the 90s presentation. When I played through the game, I played as Toe Jam. He's a little quicker to move around than Earl, but that doesn't mean he's moving fast. He takes his time and struts across the screen with a smoothness, and along with the sick beats making their way to your ear holes, you can't help but get on board with the pacing and the rhythm of the game. Other than that, I don't think I have too much more to say about the visuals, really. They're just fine overall. Not terrible, not amazing. Like I mentioned before, I was not a Sega kid growing up. I have barely a dozen titles under my belt, so I'm basing my judgment against those few games. However, the music in this game is pretty gnarly. 
It's the perfect cherry on top of the overall 90s laid-back presentation. As you're moving your character along, it's the kind of soundtrack that's perfect background music, as you're gingerly making your way towards your next objective, or you're just aimlessly exploring areas of the map. There are multiple times I would just be walking around slowly, nodding my head as I uncovered more of the play area and found things scattered around to pick up. It was a very relaxing, very chill experience. I didn't feel like I needed to rush through things, just take my time. Not very many games these days make me feel this way and make it okay to feel this way. Generally, I want to push through towards the next objective or get on to the next quest. But in Toe Jam and Earl, I knew what I needed to do and I wasn't in a rush to get those things done. I actually think you'd ruin the whole experience if you tried to push yourself through the game and not take your time. There was a point where I was near the end of the game and I could taste sweet victory. I actually started making stupid mistakes and getting anxious because I fell into old habits and tried to push myself towards the finish line. Rushing yourself and generating anxiety is definitely not what this game is about. When I started to find myself pushing myself, I put the game down, took a small break, and when I got back to it, I went back into that chill mindset. Then, all was right with the world. Alright, with that in perspective, it's time to talk about the gameplay. Even though this game has a solid presentation throughout and an identity all its own, where Toe Jam and Earl really shined for me was through its gameplay experience. Going into this game more or less blind, I didn't have much in terms of expectations. However, I was pleasantly surprised with how much I enjoyed playing this game. When you first start the game, you have to decide if you're going to play with another player or go solo and choose to play as either Toe Jam or Earl. I played by myself and chose to play as Toe Jam. On the next screen, you have a couple of options, but the two that stuck out to me were the ability to play in a random world or a fixed world. The random world is how the game is meant to be played. The levels, item layouts, and enemies will be random each time you boot the game up. The fixed world is just like it sounds. It's a predetermined world that is the same when you play it through multiple times. I didn't get a chance to try out the fixed world, but the instruction manual mentions that it could potentially be more difficult than the random one, so that sounds like a fun time for after you finish the random world if you wanted to go back and have another round. Since I can only speak for my experience playing a random world, that's what I'll be focusing on as this episode moves on. When you start the game, your chosen character is put right into the game world starting at level 1. Moving your character around is simple enough. The directional button moves them up, down, left, right, or somewhat diagonally when you press the directional button that way. Other than using an item, which we'll get into in just a little bit, there's no way for your character to run, so you're going to be strutting around wherever you go, taking your time while you do it. You have the ability to sneak around by holding the A button while you're moving, though. This will slow you down even further, but there are some enemies that you'll come across that are sleeping, and tiptoeing by them is the only way to get past them without waking them up. We'll get into the enemies themselves in a little bit as well. If you press your C button, you're treated with a map of the current level that you're on. By default, the map is obscured and will only open up as you explore. The map is going to be a great resource as you go, so you can keep track of where you've been as you search for your spaceship parts. 
If you come across a ship part, it'll be automatically marked on your map. What's also useful is when you come across the elevator to the next level, that'll also be marked on your map. One of the more enjoyable parts of the game is trying to open up as much of the level as you can. There are three main benefits to taking on map exploration. First, you'll potentially find items and money that will aid you on your Funkadelic quest. Second, uncovering the map will increase your character's rank. And third, it's just so damn relaxing to walk around and explore the world. I thoroughly enjoy just kicking my feet up and walking around more often than not. Okay, so let's talk about some of the items that you're going to be coming across on your journey. Right as you start the game from level 1, you'll see present boxes scattered about. Presents are going to be the biggest reason you want to explore the map and arguably one of the best gameplay mechanics the entire game has to offer. To pick up a present, all you need to do is walk over it and you'll automatically collect it. You can carry up to 16 gifts at one time. Pressing your B button will open up your list of collected presents. Right away, you'll notice that you can't see what's inside each present. There's just a string of question marks next to it. You won't actually know what's inside a present until you open it and use it. Once you use it, though, any present you pick up from now on that's in that same type of box that you just opened will be the same. So, for example, if you use a present that's in a yellow box that's wrapped in a blue ribbon, and it turns out to be a pair of spring shoes, any time you pick up a present that's yellow and wrapped in blue ribbon, it will always be another pair of spring shoes. When you open up your present list, it won't be question marks anymore either. It will actually say spring shoes. So for a while while you're playing, you'll want to gather as many presents as you can and use them so you can identify them, so you know what you have and you can figure out what you just picked up down the road. In the beginning, what was most fun for me was using a present and figuring out what I had and what it did. Going back to the spring shoes, if you use them while you're moving, they would let your character jump really high and really far in the direction you're moving. The longer you hold the A button down, the higher and further you'll bounce. These things were pretty sweet. Not only do they help you get around the map a little quicker, they're great for avoiding enemies or hopping gaps and landing on other parts of the map that you couldn't reach otherwise. Another great present is the Icarus Wings. When you have these equipped, tap the A button while you're standing still, and your character will flap their wings and they'll start to fly. The usefulness of these beauties probably goes without saying, but you can use them to fly off the ground. There's also an inner tube present that lets you jump into bodies of water and float around instead of having to swim and worry about holding your breath. Out of all the presents and items that you could get though, the super high tops were probably my favorite one to get. This more or less adds an ability to run. If you hold down the A button, your character will run, greatly increasing their movement speed. And as a bonus, if you come across an edge, you'll automatically leap over it. This is great for clearing gaps and hitting other areas of the map just out of reach, or for quick getaways. Just be careful, if you somehow manage to fall off the level that you're on, you'll spiral down to the level below, and you'll have to find the elevator again to get back where you were. Remember, this game is all about taking your time. If you rush too much, you're going to face the consequences, my dudes. Now there's a couple other presents that'll give you a way to fight back against enemies, but they're pretty clunky to use. 
First, you can get tomatoes. I know my life force decreases drastically when I'm struck with vegetables, so I can see how these would be used as a form of defense in Toe Jam and Earl. When you have tomatoes, you can toss them towards an enemy. Certain enemies will take more hits than others to dispatch, but if you hit an enemy enough times, they go pop, and they're done for. You can come across a slingshot that also fires tomatoes in the direction of your adversaries, just faster and at further distances. Both of these items take a little practice to get used to, though. What makes them a little impractical sometimes is how slow they are when they fly through the air, even when they're being shot from that slingshot. Some enemies can be pretty quick or extremely erratic when moving, so lining up a shot can also be a chore. In my experience, I had the best luck by just avoiding enemies altogether. Items like the spring shoes or Icarus wings can be used to make a hasty getaway. I will say, the hula girl enemy that you come across can be a big pain if there are other enemies around, so I tend to go out of my way to clear those out if I can. We'll get into some of the enemy earthlings you'll come across in just a little bit though, but before we move on, we have to talk about the dark side of presence. Yeah, it's hard to believe, but presence can have a dark side. Well, maybe it's not too hard to believe. I'm sure we've all gotten a present in our lives, have been super excited to open it, and inside is a pair of underwear or something just as appealing. Has anyone ever had that experience before? I'm looking at you, Grandma. The presence in this game can be just as bad, if not worse, if you're unlucky enough. There's one present called the Total Bummer. If you open this present, you will die. Plain and simple. It's a total bummer, just like the name implies. You can also open a present that'll spawn an enemy. Super annoying as well. Oh, and here's a good one. The School Book. If you get this in your present, your character will sit on the ground and start reading the book. It's a disastrous gift if you have enemies that are hot on your trail. And whatever you do, do not open this present when you're standing on sand. Sand in this game will slow your movement down, but worse than that, you'll slowly start to sink into it the longer that you're on it. I opened a mystery present while I was on sand, and Toe Jam just stopped what he was doing, popped a squat, and started to read. No matter how fast I pushed my buttons on the controller, Toe Jam just sat there. Then, he started sinking into the sand. Slowly, I had to watch him almost get completely swallowed up by it. Right before he completely sank, he stood up and I was able to get him back to solid ground. I never did completely submerge my character in sand, so I'm not 100% sure if you can die in it like that, but damn, watching him sink like that? From then on, I was super careful to test my presence out when no enemies were around and I was on solid ground so I could ID them and move on. Now in my opinion, there is one present that is the worst of them all. The Randomizer. If you open this present, presents you've already identified will be randomly assigned to something different. Basically, everything goes back to being question marks, and all the work you did to identify everything is gone. That white present that you had that had food in it previously? It might be spring shoes now. Or, it could be a total bummer. It's heartbreaking to open a randomizer, especially if you've made good progress in the game. You have presents on you that you know are helpful, you have your rhythm down, 
then the randomizer shows up and fucks your day up. Is there any way to avoid this dark fate, you might be wondering? As a matter of fact, there is. Before we talk about the enemies that are going to be trying to stop you, let's talk about some of the humans that you'll come across that are actually able to help you. Now that is, if you have the cash to spend. I don't think I've mentioned cash up to this point, but quickly, you can find money, or bucks as the game calls them, lying around on the ground that you can pick up or you can find them in presents. When you come across some of the helpful earthlings, they'll only help you if you have some bucks to give them. The first helpful earthling is the wise man. He's the guy that you're going to see walking around dressed up like a carrot. You know, normal human behavior. If you walk up to him, he'll identify a present in your inventory for just two bucks. This is perfect if you don't want to take the risk of using something and it being a bad present like the Total Bummer, or worse, the Randomizer. There are also presents that you can find in your travels that have a question mark on the side of the box themselves. These will always be random, and you will either have to use it and find out what's inside, or take them to a wise man to get the ID. For me, I didn't really bother using the wise man to ID presents, and I would just use them. If I got something bad, I'd figure it out pretty early and I was able to avoid them once I did ID them and knew what present boxes held the bad stuff. However, if I was making good progress in the game and sitting on some good presents but I hadn't identified anything super bad like the randomizer or the total bummer, that's when I started to talk to the wise man more when I saw him. I was on level 19 when I was playing through the game once and I took a chance on a present that I hadn't ID'd yet. And it was the randomizer. It covered up and randomized everything I had at that point, and I couldn't have felt more vulnerable in that moment. Another helpful earthling out there in the wild is the wizard. The wizard will completely restore your lost health, and only requires a single buck to do it. Simple and useful. If I didn't mention it before, you can find food scattered about on the ground that you can eat which will restore your health but not all food is good food. You're mainly looking for food like ice cream sundaes, cheeseburgers, and pizza. There's food lying around like moldy cheese and cabbage that will actually damage you if you eat them. The only real way to know what works and what doesn't is just by trying it out. Once you figure out what does what, you don't tend to forget. But if you want to keep it simple and you want to restore your health hassle-free, go talk to the wizard. The last helpful earthling out there is the opera singer. She is not hard to miss when you see her. If you pay her three bucks, she'll sing a tune and wipe out all enemies on screen. Very useful, especially in the later levels when baddies are much more plentiful. The only problem with her is that her appearance is random, and she doesn't move very fast, so you can really only use her in one specific spot. And three bucks is pretty expensive in the grand scheme of things, unless you've been stocking up on cash. Either way, having her available to help you is better than not having her around at all, so there is that. And with that, I think we've covered all the tools in our toolkit, our abilities, and what'll help us along the way. So let's talk about the bad guys, the Earthlings. Now, I use the term loosely, as many of the enemies you come across really aren't humans. The instruction booklet for Toe Jam and Earl is a treasure trove of useful information and all the enemies you're going to be coming across are listed within. If I had the instruction booklet when I was younger, 
I often wonder if I would have given this game more of a chance. But anyway, the instruction booklet is very useful. I will say, the way that the instruction manual introduces the game's baddies is just hilarious. So for this next section, I'm going to be stealing a bit from the instruction manual itself here. Starting off, the manual calls this section the Compendium of Common Earthlings, then promptly tells you that all spaceships need to exercise extreme caution when traveling near Earth, and landing on it is strictly forbidden. The inhabitants of Earth are known to be extremely unpredictable. Humans are known to be destructive by nature, and they take themselves way too seriously. Also worth noting is their general lack of a healthy party-down attitude, and they have absolutely no sense of funk. So what sort of humans could we potentially come across? As far as human creatures themselves go, you have your crazed shopper lady, who runs around erratically with her shopping cart, which comes complete with a small screaming child. Every now and then the lady will stop and yell at the kid to shut up, so that's your chance to get away from the shopper if she's chasing you down. If she does hit you, she'll flatten you out and do a decent amount of damage, so it's worth avoiding her at all costs. You'll also need to watch out for the insane dentist. Their scientific name is Paneus Maximus. These lunatics will try and stab you with their dentist drills and deal significant damage. If they do hit you, they tend to stop and cackle and laugh. That's your best time to get away from them. But really, you should stay as far away from these guys as you can. One earthling that you'll come across that doesn't really seem to be dangerous on the outside is the Wahini, or simply put, the Hula Dancer. She'll traipse around the area hula dancing, and it will be hard not to want to join her. So hard, in fact, that the closer you are to her, the more likely your character will stop what they're doing and dance along with her. This doesn't cause any damage when it happens to you, but you still have to be careful. If you're being pursued by another, more dangerous enemy, stopping to dance will have disastrous effects. The good news is, it only takes one hit from a tomato to take out a hula dancer, so consider that if the situation calls for it. Hula dancers are especially dangerous if they're dancing on or near sand, and you stop to dance with her while you're sinking in the sand. I guess there are worse ways to go out, but still, use an abundance of caution around these creatures. Most other creatures and earthlings that you're going to come across are just going to be out to deal damage to you like the swarm of bees, the little devils, and the fat men with lawnmowers. <laughs> I especially love how the instruction manual describes these fat guys mowing the lawn. Scientific name, Americanus Suburbium. This earthling is believed to be a representative of the majority of male humans living in a region called Middle America. This creature spends large amounts of time walking back and forth in front of its place of dwelling, pushing a loud, destructive machine known as a lawnmower. It is believed that this territorial behavior is an attempt by the males of this species to intimidate other males. As a sign of dominance, many of these males sport impressive stomachs. These are thought to attract females of the species. <laughs> I can't help but chuckle. Seriously, if you don't somehow own this game and have the instruction manual, check it out online. It's extremely fun to read through. There's one more damage-dealing baddie that you have to watch out for, and it's perhaps my least favorite baddie, and that is the Boogeyman. 
These creatures are invisible when they're standing still, and you can only see a transparent shadow of them when they are moving around. And these fuckers move around quick. When they touch you, they deal decent damage, but they also knock you back a bit. Whatever you do, stay away from the edges of the level if you can. Never back yourself into a corner with these guys. Actually, it's probably best that you just suck it up and take whatever damage they're going to dish out, because nothing is more frustrating than falling down to the last level just to have to climb all the way back up. And of all the enemies that knocked me over the edge, the Boogeyman was top of that list. Don't even think about fighting them either. It's just like the movie Predator, when everyone is trying to shoot the Predator who's in the woods somewhere and no one hits anything. That is what your experience will be. Just get out of there and get to the choppa. Or rather, the elevator. There are more enemy types in this game, but I'll leave the rest to you to discover. All told, I think we've covered the main parts of this game, the mechanics, the enemies, and your overall objective. There's surprisingly a lot here, but how does it all translate to the gameplay experience, and why the hell do people like this game so much? Well, allow me to see if I can put this all in perspective, at least from my point of view. Right off the bat, this game is really meant to be played with a friend. If you sit down with a pal, you can play split-screen and try to finish the game together. You'll be able to explore the game twice as fast, but you're also able to work together in some ways to get out of jams or just keep each other alive. In a two-player game, you each have your own inventory of presents. You can drop presents on the ground if you want to give something to your pal, or just work together to understand who has what so you can navigate around better. If you use a present near your pal, you'll both reap the benefits, so keep that in mind. You even have the ability to share your health with your pal. Just walk over to your buddy, and Toe Jam and Earl will either high-five themselves or bump bellies, and doing this will average out your health bars, which is a great way to work together. When playing in two-player mode, you don't have to stick to the same floor either. You can absolutely divide and conquer, and I've read that it's good to do this on the earlier stages, but when you get higher and higher, you should actually consider sticking together more. I have to imagine the two-player mode is a huge reason why people hold this game in such high regard. Growing up as an only child, I did have moments where I played video games with cousins or friends, but I didn't really get a chance to do that a ton, especially with older titles like Toe Jam and Earl. But just looking at what you can do together in this game, I'm sure it's created a ton of co-op memories for a lot of people. I wanted to see about playing this game with one of my stepkids to see what they thought, it just didn't work out that way unfortunately. Still, I can imagine so many of you listening who have had that experience with this game. The beautiful thing about Toe Jam and Earl is, since the main way to play the game is within a random world, each experience will never be the same. If I had a brother or sister, you bet your ass we'd be staying up way past our bedtimes to play this game together. So with that said, it probably sounds like this game is best enjoyed playing with a friend. And while I argue that's mostly the case, I still think playing this game by myself was still very enjoyable. Let me see if I can put everything together in one package and explain. Even though I just got done talking about the plethora of enemies roaming around, the presence system, and how we have to locate those spaceship parts, what ToeJam & Earl really is all about is cultivating that sense of discovery and exploration. 
Even though you yourself are an Earthling, at least I assume you are, you're more of an alien like Toejam and Earl when you play this game. While the instruction manual gives you a great leg up on what to expect, you really don't know what to expect when you explore Earth in this game. The Earthlings and creatures you come across are quirky and weird, and you might not know what sort of threat they pose to you until you interact with them. And like I mentioned before, some Earthlings don't pose any threat at all. On each level, the map is completely covered, and you have to make your way around the map to uncover your surroundings, find presents, and use those to help you along the way and eventually uncover the elevator that's going to take you to the next level. And eventually you'll come across the pieces of your spaceship and you continue your adventure. The layout of the levels themselves can even be more than that, as hidden paths can be made available to you as you explore the edges of the map. I genuinely developed a sense of wanderlust as I was playing, and what's more, the game rewards you for this behavior too. Not only do you potentially find more presents or cash as you explore, the game has a ranking system that I really haven't touched on yet. Your ranking is basically your level of coolness, and above all else, the most important thing here is to be cool, right? When you start the game, you are given the illustrious rank of Wiener. However, you'll quickly raise your coolness rank as you use presence and uncover more of the map. You'll gain ranks such as Doofus, Poindexter, and Ratmaster, but if you can top the coolness charts, you'll be known as a Funk Lord. Aww yeah. Now getting a higher coolness rank isn't just for fun. As you rank up, your overall health increases so you can take more damage before kicking the bucket. And as an additional bonus, every three ranks you get, you'll get an extra life. At least I think it's three ranks. But either way, that is the biggest reward for ranking your coolness up. You do not want to make all this progress, lose all your lives, and have to start completely over. That is very uncool. So do everything you can to increase your coolness rank and get those extra lives. So looking back at it all, the game really incentivizes you to just chill out and take your time. Explore Earth and really take it in. Rushing through this game not only puts you at a disadvantage from a health and resource standpoint, you'll be missing out on the very point if you try to hurry through it. ToeJam & Earl is meant to be enjoyed when you have your feet up and you've shut out the rest of your worldly troubles. The soundtrack is a great backdrop while you explore, and you're just wandering around to see what's out there. If you do manage to complete the game, you're treated with a pretty decent ending for all your efforts. You'll get to fly your ship back to Funkatron, and the game lets you walk around and explore it as long as you like. Eventually, you get to meet up with your family, and they will greet you warmly. It's a great ending, and I remember just letting out a content sigh when I was done. It was a great experience overall. It was very chill and very relaxing. It got frustrating in some spots for me when I would get cornered by a few enemies and they beat me down mercilessly, but I wouldn't really consider this game to be all that difficult by any stretch of the imagination. It was a little on the longer side, though. I think it took me about three hours to complete the game once, start to finish. That's not really a bad thing. I'm all about short games these days. But when I got to about the 75% mark, I was starting to feel a little fatigued. I had to put the game down and take a break for just a little bit before re-engaging. I'm sure playing the game with a friend, though, 
will eliminate that feeling and cut down the playtime considerably. So to wrap it all up, Toe Jam and Earl is a game that's extremely accessible to just about everybody. It doesn't try to be anything but a relaxing experience, and its roguelike elements make it fun to play multiple times over, and the experience is even more enhanced when you have a friend to chill with. In a world that's full of games that are trying to move you along from objective to objective, and games that can have decent difficulty curves, Toe Jam and Earl is a breath of fresh air, even today. I'm really glad I finally gave this game a chance, and I think if you're looking for something different and just need to disconnect from your day-to-day, give Toe Jam and Earl a try. I don't think you'll be disappointed. how we do it here in the Retro Wildlands, nice and chill. This has been episode 13 of the Retro Wildlands, Toe Jam and Earl for the Sega Genesis. Thank you very much for listening to the show today, I really enjoyed having you here. It was cool to finally play through this game and get a feel for what all the hubbub was about. I went into this game with zero expectations, but I left very satisfied and better for it. A huge thank you again to my buddy Chuck over on our Facebook page for shouting this one out to me. If you like the show, please consider following us or subscribing to us on your preferred podcasting platform, and please consider leaving a good review if your platform allows you to do that. I assume the more good reviews that we have, the better the chance that we'll be circulated or others will be able to see us, so that would be pretty cool if you could do that if you like the show. And speaking of circulation, The absolute best way to show the podcast or myself some support would be to spread the word about the podcast. Share us with your friends, family, even your neighbors. Hell, share us with the random strangers sitting around you the next time you find yourself out at the local pub. I know one of my favorite things to do is to get to know my fellow bar patrons, and what better icebreaker is there than asking random bar patrons if they're into video gaming podcasts? After every new episode goes live, we seem to have just a couple more people listening to the podcast and just a couple more people poking around our social media. Like any good RPG world, the Retro Wildlands are best explored and experienced with a party, so let's keep spreading the word. And let me get one more plug in for our social media while I can. You can find us over on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter if you search at Retro Wildlands. Come follow us on any and all platforms to get updates about the show, see what I'm up to, and catch other gaming-related content. If you follow the show, we'll follow you back. I'll check out your page, maybe like some of the photos that you post of your nature hikes or whatever you enjoy to pass the time. I'll comment on your pet photos. It'll be a win-win. Coming up in a couple weeks, in the spirit of Halloween, I have a game in mind that I'm hoping to cover that's a pretty rare gem that I've been dying to play for a very, very long time. If everything goes well, I'll have gotten it in the mail and should be playing through it by the time you hear my voice. I'm hoping it's everything I want it to be and more. So if you want to know what that game is ahead of time, 
be sure to follow us on social. I'm sure I'll be posting all about it when the time comes. So what's coming up next week? More than likely, I'll probably drop an episode on Contra for the original Nintendo. I've already played through the game last week, so I'm already set to write and record an episode on it for next week. This way, I can devote my time to my Halloween mystery game. But don't take that to mean that Contra is going to be a throwaway episode. I played Contra when I was very little, and when I saw my stepfather input that secret code on the controller to get those 30 extra lives, it blew my mind. I am very eager to talk about some of my memories with Contra, and why I think this game holds itself up even today. Plus, it has one of the best soundtracks of all time, so I'll be lighting up the Wildlands next week with some sweet, sweet chiptunes. Until then, my friends, my name is Nomad, and you can find me roaming the retro wildlands. (laughs) 